Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. This particular interview is one you want to listen from start to finish. This particular Army veteran and United States officer and cavalryman, Todd Scatini, is the CEO and founder of Calvary Cannabis in the great state of Missouri. He is on the cutting edge of social justice, economic development, healing initiatives in health and wellness, and in agriculture as well. I can't say enough about this interview and where we're going uh, in the cannabis medical marijuana space, but this is definitely uh, the wave of the future and something that can help humankind on a massive scale. Thank you for supporting and listening to Straight Outta Combat Radio. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset, for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all burn it down. Our guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio is Mr. Todd Scatini, CEO and founder of, of Calvary Cannabis. Colonel Scatini spent 27 years of his life wearing the uniform of the U.S. Army. He is the consummate cavalryman who knows truly what it means to serve our country. Nowadays, he is on a different mission, but he's still in service to the country. Calvary Cannabis has entered the medical marijuana industry, and Colonel Scatini believes with all of his heart that cannabis presents a safe and effective method to address many issues facing our transitioning men and women. From homelessness and unemployment to suicide, opioid abuse, and overdose rates. High overdose rates, by the way. I couldn't agree with him more. I'm so humbled and honored to have Colonel Todd Scatini here today on Straight Outta Combat Radio. Welcome, sir. Thank you, John. I really appreciate the opportunity and the the platform, really, to, to have this conversation. Thank you very much. You're welcome, sir. I'm very, very excited. You know, before we get to Calvary Cannabis and, and the great mission that you all are on out there in Missouri, let's just talk a little bit about the Scatini household and how you, sir, were influenced in your younger days to make it all the way to West Point. How did all that go down? Thanks. Well, I, I, I don't know if it was uh, inspiration or desperation, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of I, I was a reluctant uh, soldier back in 1990 when uh, when I, I you know, I, I immediately I left high school, um, was trying to figure out my way in life, went to community college, didn't do so well there, um, you know, started working and then I wrecked a car uh, and, and, and you know, just got kind of desperate and said, you know, I need to do something with my life. I need some direction and I needed to get out of uh, my hometown, which is a lovely hometown uh, out in California. But I needed a place to go and, and kind of direction. And I knew I wasn't going to get there in Bakersfield. So I joined the Army and I, I enlisted first. I uh, showed up in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri for basic training. They shaved my head. They put a (laughs) a new uniform on me and I didn't take it off for 27 years. Um, I, I, and I just, I just fell in love with it immediately. You know, I felt like I was part of something uh, bigger, 
than myself and, you know, had a direction that I was going. So I was really pleased with that. And then um, I was given the opportunity to go to the West Point Prep School. Uh, I was I was the right age. I had the right scores and all of that stuff. And so I immediately applied when I was in basic training and I was almost even more quickly denied the opportunity to go in because I had really bad eyes at the time. And, uh, uh, you know, I talked to my drill sergeant and he said, son, there's all, there's these things called waivers in the army and, and maybe we, maybe you can get a waiver. So I applied four more times. And finally on the fifth time they, they accepted me to the prep school. I think they got tired of, of hearing me pound on the door, but I wasn't going to take no for an answer. So, so I went to the prep school, uh, made it through that, went to West Point, I majored in Russian and German while I was there. And then I became an armor officer on tanks and Bradley fighting vehicles, the, the modern mounted warrior. And uh, I went to Fort Riley, Kansas. I served in Germany uh, under in, in the 1st Squadron, 4th United States Cavalry. Um, I, was a, I was a cavalry troop commander, and I got to lead uh, some of the, the, the men of our army, and I was really proud to do that. And then I became, after that, a foreign area officer which is a special type of officer that the Army trains to focus on particular regions of the world and provide strategic advice to ambassadors and general officers and essentially serve as a military diplomat. So I get to serve in six different countries in Europe, uh, spend like 13 years over there really forwarding U.S. foreign policy and strategy and uh and, and had a, a just a magnificent time and and uh and i felt like i was i was doing what i was supposed to do for sure uh the army had taught me by this point five five languages and i was able to uh, apply those in a way that i felt very proud of and i thought was very meaningful um, but along the way i went to afghanistan uh, i served for six months as a special advisor to the international security assistance force commander uh, who was a four-star Marine general, um, who was just uh, a, a magnificent leader, asked me and, and this small team that I was working on to figure out a, a, an industry for the Afghans so that they could support themselves in the long term. And I decided that it would be a good idea to maybe transition them over to a hemp industry um, with you know, so many different uses of this plant being an and being an industrial product, being and having the ability to bring food, fuel, fiber, medicine, and building material uh, in one single plant, I thought it was a great idea. Um, especially since growing hemp around cannabis that's grown for high THC, um, those two would crossbreed, and I thought they would go to seed, and 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 the THC plant that they grow for hashish and sell in the prohibition market would have a, a lower THC level, and and thus garner less profits for the uh, uh, for the, the criminal organizations that were operating there. So my, my recommendation was really kind of laughed at and and it didn't really even make it to the general actually at the time. Uh, but I was just simply hooked on the subject um, when I learned about the roots of our own prohibition being uh, very racist and, yeah. and del- deleterious to our nation. I thought, gosh, this seems un-American and I want to learn more, and I want to know if there's something that I can do about it. After that, I, I also quickly learned that there were military applications, and there were tons of people who were receiving uh, great relief from medical cannabis. And I thought, man, uh, we're onto something here, and, and I feel like there's a movement taking place, and I want to be a part of it. So I just really tracked it from afar for about 
six years while I was serving. Very interesting about the history of cannabis, especially in North America. But, you know, before we go, go too much further, just a couple of things here. Um, can you talk to us uh, very briefly a little bit about the West Point culture? And because one thing that you've outlined that I see all, right away is your perseverance. And did that come before West Point or was that something that was drilled in at West Point? Uh, I think it's, you know, maybe something that is, I think it certainly helped me get into West Point. You know, like I said, I wasn't really taking no for an answer uh, in trying to get into the West Point prep school so that I could then get into West Point. But, yeah, it's certainly something that we're taught at West Point. It's something that, um, you know, we're, we, we are kind of raised under the banner of duty, honor, and country so that we, we understand what a sense of duty is. And, and, you know, at the core of that is always about taking care of soldiers. Yeah, clearly, you know, we are, we are trained. Our mission is to um, train and, and become leaders of character and, and be, be committed to a lifetime of service to the nation. But really at the heart of it, it, it is to fight and to win our nation's wars, but also to take care of those soldiers that are... Uh, you know, that are fighting and, and, and winning our nation's wars. And that's kind of where, you know, the intersection is for me between the cannabis space and my military service, which, you know, I left about uh, 18 months ago. I, re I retired on January 1st of 2018. Congratulations. And Thank you very much. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it, it's funny. People always congratulate me for my retirement and thank me for my service. And man, I tell you what, John, and you know, the, you know, the deal, it made me what I am today. It, it was, it was such an honor, such a pleasure for, for me to actually serve. I feel like, shoot, the army did me as much of a, a service as I did for it. Absolutely. Can you, you know, can you think of any single event or maybe a couple of events maybe it was at west point maybe it was in europe maybe it was in afghanistan where you just that just really made an effect on you about our country and, and, and about the mission that that our services are on is there can you think of anything that just stands out where it just transcends anything that you did during your entire career wow um like any one particular event you know i, I mean i I lost a lot of uh, uh, troops, not, you know, and, and I have to be very clear, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in it, you know, I wasn't getting shot at every single day or anything. There are so many troops that are out there that, that are, that are on patrol on a daily basis and, and facing IEDs and, and ambushes and, and really in it and, and, and are suffering greatly today. But, but for me, I can't think of one particular thing. I can remember leaving Afghanistan and um, and trying to figure out what was, you know, were we doing something that was really good or what was this all about and how were we going to stabilize this place and um, was there really an end game or an end in sight? And I remember flying out of Bagram Air Base and looking down at like the acres and acres and acres of uh, U.S. military vehicles parked there ready to be um, sold to or transferred over to the Afghans and the thought that, uh, you know, maybe this will stabilize the place and they'll be able to provide security for themselves. And, uh, you know, when, when in fact, I'm not sure that that's exactly the answer. Um, so I, I remember that vision quite, quite clearly. 
Um, also, the, I, I would say that the loss of one of uh, one of the lieutenants that served under me, um, his, his name was Captain Andrew Houghton. He was a West Point graduate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he graduated in 2001, right, just months before the attacks of 9-11. He shows up in my unit when uh, I was commanding Alpha Troop or 14 Cav uh, as a platoon leader, and he was just a, an amazing young man, a great officer. Came out of Houston, Texas, um, and you know really worked to get into West Point, worked hard through West Point, and became a great armor lieutenant. After I left command of the unit, my unit then deployed to Iraq. Um, and he was on patrol and was struck by a rock-propelled grenade that, that uh, slipped off the front slope of his Bradley fighting vehicle, struck him in the head, and gave him a massive traumatic brain injury. Um, the, I linked up with him about five weeks later after he had been moved to the Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Um, by this point in time, they had already um, you know, uh, removed a portion of, of the damaged brain, uh, and he was really in a coma, and I met his family, and I got to spend some time with them and tell them what an amazing man he was, what an amazing officer he was. We pinned a purple heart on his chest in the hospital bed, and then the the next day, Andy passed away, um, which was awful, and it was just devastating to me, obviously devastating to his family. And then later on, when I'm doing this research in, in Afghanistan, and I'm learning about hemp, and, and cannabis, I learned that the U.S. government had a, a patent on cannabinoids as a neuroprotectant, an anti-inflammatory, and an antioxidant. And I thought, man, those are like the three things that you would need for us to to mitigate and treat traumatic brain injury, right? This right. is, I'm asking myself at this point, why aren't we, um, you know, if we know that this plant can can provide some sort of neuroprotection, why aren't we having soldiers use this to maximize that neuroprotection while in combat? Why aren't we uh, administering cannabinoids after a traumatic brain injury so that that we don't have to drill holes in their heads to release the pressure that's created from a traumatic brain injury? And so we went about making making a uh, strategy to actually do that. We created this concept called the Athena Protocol. Uh, which is a strategy to mitigate and treat traumatic brain injury using non-impairing cannabinoids. And, and I envision this being used in combat. So this goes a little bit beyond, you know, normally we talk about veterans and, and the use of cannabis. I'm talking about active duty personnel having access to uh, non-impairing cannabinoids to mitigate and treat traumatic brain injury or to reduce inflammation in their bodies and uh, and truly take care of them. Well, you know, Thank you for sharing that. I know that's tough. Um, but you know what? It's so much of what you're saying, it, it, it's commonsensical. And, you know, again, you know, CBDs helped to save my life, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in my own TBI several years ago. And if I hadn't had it, Todd, I can tell you right now, I probably wouldn't be here. So the value of what you're doing is uh, second to none. It's a darn righteous mission, if you think about it. And, uh, I just I can't say enough about it. But so so tell us how you made that transition or how how you created, you know, your your current company and and tell us what your plans are. Sure. Um, so how did I make the transition? I, I talk to a lot of folks. I get called all the time from by people who are still serving or who have just retired and who are trying to get into the cannabis space. And uh, my the first thing I tell them to do is read. 
um, start devouring books about cannabis. You have to know and understand the history of cannabis. You have to understand the history of our own prohibition. You have to understand the science of cannabis and cannabinoids, everything from how it's grown to how it's processed and how it's administered and, and, and you know, keep up with the massive amounts of scientific uh, research that's coming out on a, on a monthly basis. About a thousand uh, research papers are coming out every month now. But uh, so that's what I did. Uh, I started to read everything I could. I also, you know, I, I tell everyone who's in the military, you can't come up hot on your analysis by reading a book or watching a documentary or talking to someone who uses cannabis uh, for, for medical use or even for, um, for recreational use. You're not going to come up hot just by speaking to these people. And uh, so I started to create the company. Uh, my first company was called Harvest 360 which is uh, essentially a consulting company, and I wanted to be a part of the cannabis space and, and help consult and put companies together. Um, that ultimately turned into Harvest 360 Technologies, where we, uh, we, we bring in technologies that can lower the barriers to, to research, you know, um, and help, help provide products and, and uh, tools for researchers and, and opportunities for researchers to come into the cannabis space and actually look at the plant. And simultaneously, I was working as an activist. You know, when I moved back to, um, to, to the Midwest after I uh, left Slovenia, where I was serving as a defense attache, I came to the Command and General Staff College in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. I bought a house in Platte City, Missouri, because I knew Missouri was trying to get medical cannabis legalization on the ballot. So I wanted to be an activist and be part of that and help that. And so I collected signatures, wrote articles, did interviews, and, and worked in the activist community. And, and the day after we legalized cannabis in uh, uh, November 6th of 2018, we created Cavalry Cannabis. And uh, the reason I made it Cavalry Cannabis is because, one, I was in the cavalry back in the day, and uh, you know a, a lot of my heroes were in the cavalry. Uh, additionally, the cavalry really kind of cut its teeth and, and really helped the United States expand to the West from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, you know, the cavalry is a very specific type of military unit that uh, provides reconnaissance and security and, and leads a larger body forward to help protect it and to help guide it. The cavalry, by the way, is, is that's the organization uh, that settlers, as they moved West, they would come to Kansas City they would uh, resupply their wagons and they would go across the river to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, and they would link up with the cavalry and the cavalry would lead them on the Oregon Trail or the Santa Fe Trail and protect them as they did that and provide their guidance. And, and so that's how we expanded our new frontier in the United States. And, and I believe today that we are on a front, new frontier of medicine Right, and I think that the cavalry, with the purpose of uh, providing medicine to veterans and conducting research, um, we we could be at least part of uh, of the group that's leading the way into this new frontier of medicine. And it's odd that it's going to happen right here in Missouri. Yeah, I you know I totally love the analogy and the metaphor. You know, I just finished a book about Lee's Army of Northern Virginia and mm -hmm. the famed Jeb Stewart. You know the general cavalrymen that uh, actually 
you know, the eyes and the ears are the greater force. And I think that uh, your parallel in uh, is, is well stated. And, and, and I just love it because, you know, the eyes and the ears, you know, doing the, rec- the reconnaissance, which is the research, and then leading the charge, uh, for certainly nationally, but on a global uh, scene now. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's 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 uh, the most unlikely place, you know. Whenever I tell everyone that I've created a company, a, ca- a cannabis company in the state of Missouri, they're like, "Is it legal in Missouri?" You know, <laughs> no one recognizes yet that, um, you know, this state being the thirty third mover, we we have a lot of advantages. Isn't it the sh- it's the show me state? Show me something. Let's do it. Absolutely, yeah. man. Oh man, it's I mean it's crazy. It, not to mention, you know, Kansas City is the headquarters of our nation's oldest and largest veteran service organization. Awesome. The, yeah, the VFW is located here in Kansas City, Missouri, and um, the VFW, along with the American Legion and the Iraq and uh, Afghanistan Veterans of America, you know, they've been in front of Congress recently, just pounding on the table, saying, hey. We need to conduct research on this plant. All of our members are telling us, one, they're either using it to great effect and uh, getting great relief out of this, or they're telling us, hey, we want access to this, and we would be very interested in looking at cannabis as an alternative for treatment for us. Because we have to recognize, you know, the veterans are in a massive health crisis. You know, our nation is in a massive health crisis, obviously. Absolutely. And it's just, you know, it's really reflected in the veteran community. It's kind of concentrated, actually, in the veteran community because we are are prevented from accessing any other alternatives uh, for treatment. But you see this massive uh, opioid crisis in the U.S. Well, it, it happens twofold in the, uh, in, in the veteran community. We have uh, issues with post-traumatic stress and uh, chronic pain. We have uh, these symptoms of post-traumatic stress like anxiety and depression and insomnia that are really ravaging our community and and i believe firmly that cannabis can go a long way in treating all of these well you know i like the fact that you mentioned that because when when i was dealing with sleep deprivation with my own tbi you know sleep deprivation for several years you know the proverbial uh uh uh, cure for that was these pills right these antidepressants Mm -hmm. and within about three weeks, my first go around, uh, I was I was uh, not feeling like I wanted to be here, suicidal. And after one dose of prescription grade CBD, I wanted to live. And so it's real, it's legitimate. Uh, in fact, the guy that I practiced my guitar with, Todd, is a Vietnam veteran whose dad actually was a general who served in World War II. He was D Day and and also a West Point graduate. But uh, medical marijuana has saved his life. You know, years and years and years of nightmares. Uh, you know, after being in Vietnam, the jungles there and the stories that he's told me just I I can't imagine being on the high alert with the threat of death every day and what that would do to you. But but medical marijuana has saved his life. So you're totally 110 percent right. Um, These this this plant has applications that go far beyond the political ramifications. And and I just love to see guys like you and your team that you have out there in Missouri leading the charge to make the world a better place. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. It's yeah, a pleasure. It's pretty cool. So we're trying to really create a platform out here. Um, you know, I have this vision of conducting this medical cannabis research, but, you know, where do you do that? And what we're, what we're trying to do here is um, create the platform for this research in Missouri. 
So the the medical cannabis program here is is exceptional. It's the best one that I've seen in the United States. Um, that means we have a huge list of qualifying conditions with the golden bullet of if your doctor thinks that medical cannabis can help you, uh, you know, treat whatever ails you, then you can get a recommendation, right? And that's where that should be, right? That should be a doctor-patient discussion and a doctor-patient decision of recommendations for medical cannabis. Uh, you know, um, I don't think anyone can argue against that. And then uh, there's a 4% tax. So it's the lowest tax in the country on medical cannabis. And those 4% taxes, those get uh, collected by the Missouri Veterans Commission and distributed for veterans programs. So, I mean, all of the money that goes into uh, the medical cannabis program comes back out to veterans programs to prevent homelessness, to increase education, to uh, help them find employment, things of that nature. And, and my hope is that we can help them find employment in the cannabis industry in particular. Because for me, I jump out of bed every morning because I feel great purpose in what I'm doing. And it's something that, I, that I'm trying to transfer and share with other veterans because it, it certainly helps me sleep at night. And uh, it certainly helps me feel like I have, I'm doing, I'm continuing to serve. And, and that's what I hope to provide for them as well. Well, you- yeah, you know, without a doubt, and you know, I said it earlier, a righteous mission, and not to be, not to overstate it by any sense of the imagination. But when you can help save people's lives, then you know you're on a good mission. Um, I know that, uh, you know, they they called this the devil's harvest, and there's a lot of things that kept it, you know, away from the the the. the we talked a little bit about this and why people feel the way they do about cannabis. It's obviously changing because of companies like yours on the front edge of innovation and getting the word back out there through education. But, you know, how do we, you know, Todd, how do we tell us, you know, what your vision is for the next few years? But how do we as a population embrace this and help each other to understand this particular plant? How do we do that? Well, you know, a lot of it comes with education. Um, Much of it will come out of research that that has been done already and will continue to be done. But the way I look at cannabis legalization, or I should say re-legalization, since it's only been illegal in our country since 1937, um, but, you know, and up until that point, it was the second most prescribed plant in the American pharmacopoeia. Since 1850 to 1937, uh, you know, this was, this was widely used in the United States. Um, but the way I look at the re-legalization of the plant is that this is really the, the impetus for four major paradigm shifts. Um, and, and those include uh, social justice, right? Huge change there. We're no longer going to be putting people in cages for a plant that has never killed anyone, right? And, and what is arguably the most therapeutically active plant that, that we have ever known. There, there's, a, there's a major economic shift that's going to take place. This is an economic development um, that we will see as we build this industry from the underground up. You know, I mean, this is an industry that has always existed and that always will exist. So it, this is our opportunity to to use that economic de- development potential to become leaders in, uh, in and create a cannabis industry that we're all proud of. Um, but also use that economic development to heal communities that have been devastated by cannabis prohibition uh, in general. There's a, there's a big agricultural shift 
that's going to take place here because, you know, we are now focusing on a particular plant so closely, unlike we ever have before. You know, we're not talking about how many tons of tomatoes we're getting out of a greenhouse or how many, you know, tons of grain we're getting off of an acre. We're talking about how many grams we're getting out of a square foot and how cheap can we do that, how, how little water can we use, uh, how little electricity can we use. And, and all of these lessons are going to be lessons that are going to transition over to the way we grow food. And I think could potentially lead to a change in the way we feed our planet using controlled environment agriculture in areas where populations are concentrated. Um, and then use the fields that we have cre- that we've been growing food in for such a long time to grow hemp. Because I think hemp is one, a major carbon sequestration element. And it can change the, you know, we can make wood out of it. We can make, we can make all kinds of products out of it, bottom line, that, that can re- re- replace some of the destructive products that we grow or, or harvest in great number. But I think the biggest shift and the one that will be most noted is the shift in health and wellness and the way that we will be able to use cannabis in the future and are using it today to prevent and treat illness, to prevent and treat disease, to prevent and treat injury. All of those, those that's the path that we need to be looking down. We know and, you- uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and you, 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 like we said earlier, you know, it can't be overstated the uh, the positive attributes of this particular plant and industry. You know, like you said, it's been around for eight thousand years, and just until recently, since nineteen thirty seven, been outlawed as a class one or schedule one uh, drug. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any places where people can go for more uh for more information or do you know of any published books that may be able to shed more light for people that are listening and really want to learn more oh absolutely um i would say like one of the quickest reads and one of the best reads um that that really affected me was the cannabis manifesto uh by steven d'angelo i thought that was a really good one and he's been a longtime activist uh, and now has moved into the cannabis industry, he owns Harborside Health, and is just kind of a, an, an icon in the industry. Uh, so the Cannabis Manifesto for me was very good. Um, and, and I also lean very heavily on Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Law. They have a really good education tab on their page, and, and I'm very proud to be a member with them. I know the Marijuana Policy Project, they, they speak mostly on policy, but they have some links to the science. And then there's a, there's a page called the Answer Page, which is really an exceptional uh, resource for, for science and education in cannabis. I would also say that one of the one of the leading groups that I'm really enamored of is Americans for Safe Access, uh, and they have a huge amount of not only education on their page, but they have the ability to uh, to train uh, employees within the industry, wh- whether it be from the bud tender all the way to the physician. Uh, or even the cultivator or processor or anyone working along the supply chain of, of cannabis and cannabis medicine, they have really excellent resources as well. So it, there's, it's like you, you, you have so many sources today. Well, you know, thank you for that information. So a couple of things here. Um, 
big question, you know, what does freedom mean to you? And, but, but before you answer that, how can people find out more information about your particular initiative and, and how can they help? Um, well, I would say that we don't really have a huge web presence today with cavalry cannabis and that's, that's about to change very soon. Um, I'm really, I was really trying to keep everything kind of tight in, in Missouri and, uh, you know, build build the company prior to uh, launching our page or anything. Right. Uh, but you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I really, I, I've had so many people reach out to me on LinkedIn, and I've created some fantastic relationships there. Um, I'm I'm also on Facebook and you know uh, others, but I'm I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Um, one of the main ways that folks can get a hold of me too is through the Veterans Cannabis Project, which is the activist work that I do today. And you can find them at vetscp.org. Um, this is now this is a company that was or sorry this is not a company this is a 501c4 that is based in Washington, D.C., and I'm lucky enough to be the Midwest representative. This is a company that was started by a guy named Nick Etten, who is a Naval Academy grad. He's just a great guy, and now he's he's off working for um, a private company. And he, so he, he handed the reins over to another great guy who's an Air Force Academy grad named Doug DeStasso. He's the executive director based in Washington, D.C., and I'm the Midwest guy. So you can find a lot about what we're doing uh, at vetcp.org. Um, and in ways to help, uh, right now certainly we're, we are building our company, and obviously we've built a bit of a rocket ship here, and we're looking for a little bit of fuel in the tank. And we are engaged in some pretty high-level conversations to make that happen, but we haven't really decided exactly which direction we're going to go in terms of uh, capital sources or anything. One thing I should mention, too, is I keep mentioning this kind of research platform that we're trying to create here in, in the state of Missouri. Uh, we, have, we have developed a really close relationship with the Missouri University system. Uh, on my board of advisors, I have a retired senator named Senator Phil Snowden, who's just an amazing guy, who's also a chancellor at the Missouri at Missouri University. And uh, he, he brought us to the table uh, with the president and the chancellor and the vice chancellor of research and development uh, at the Missouri University and uh, put us in the room with a number of different researchers and we kind of got to talk about what the future of cannabis and cannabis medicine might be like and they were all very supportive and and we're we're pursuing a public-private partnership with them so that uh, we can have this platform to conduct research on. Um, the Missouri University system actually includes Mizzou out of Columbia University, the University of Missouri in Kansas City, which has a, a research hospital and a relationship with the VA. Uh, it has the University of Missouri in St. Louis, which is very focused on the opioid crisis. You have 70% of the uh, uh, the opioid overdoses in the state of Missouri happen in in St. Louis, so they're they're watching that very closely, yeah. and and trying to find ways to deal with it. And I believe that that cannabis can be one of those ways to be used as an exit drug from the opioid crisis. And then we also have access to Rolla Science and Technology uh, in Rolla, Missouri, right down near Fort Leonard Wood, where I started this whole crazy trip, and. Um, and they're one of the leading science and technology universities in the country. So we have access to all of that. We're, we're working on uh, different research projects that, uh, that we want to put together with them. Outstanding. You know, you definitely have a lot of moving parts, but all the parts that make, make it go. Yeah, I love that. 
Thank you. What does freedom mean to you, sir? That's a that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, but I know you. I know you have an answer. Yeah, I th- I think so. I mean, well, I I think freedom is the ability to uh, try options for for treatment to have your own personal choices respected by others, uh, whether it be what medicine you use to treat yourself, whether it be uh, political views or uh, you know anything of that nature. I think being able to make your own choices, as long as they're not hurting anyone else, that's freedom for me. And we need to be able to protect those. Well, thank you for that. I, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know where our hearts are at. And, you know, I just want to I want to thank you for being here with us on Straight Out of Combat Radio today. Um, your mission um, is invaluable to the social fabric of this country and to the world population, actually. Um, you're on the cutting edge of social justice, economic development, agriculture, health and wellness. Uh, a lot of big things you're biting off, but I have no doubt in my mind that it's the right direction and that you're going to have, and you already have had amazing success at Calvary Cannabis. We're going to do anything that we have to do to support your efforts um, and look forward to the future. Is there anything, uh, sir, that, you, that you'd like to say? Um, yeah. As a part yeah, of absolutely. So one thing I didn't mention, John, is is that we are going to be holding um, at the University of Missouri in Kansas City in November of this year uh, what I'm calling the Veterans Cannabis Leadership Forum. Uh, this is going to be on November 1st and 2nd uh, at University of Missouri in Kansas City. This is uh, something that we're doing with the Veterans Cannabis Project. And, and what I'm trying to do is create a forum, create a space where uh, – leaders from the veteran community as well as the active duty or department of defense uh, can come and have conversations about cannabis and what it means to our populations and what it would be like for example if the department of defense were to turn its research lens on this medicine Um, i have a belief that if the department of defense were to make the bold move and actually start conducting significant research in medical cannabis, the United States would immediately become the world leader in cannabis research. I mean, we have a veteran population of 25 million in the United States. We have, we have the largest patient population in the country, right? We have 9 million veterans who receive their care from the Veterans Administration, and we have 1,200 Veterans Administration hospitals, 1,000 clinics. Uh, we have research relationships with universities throughout the entire country. Um, and the other thing that, that allowing the DOD to run lead on medical cannabis research is that we can automatically activate our international alliances and partnerships. For example, you know, Canada, uh, a strong NATO ally, our northern neighbor, obviously, and the first G7 country to legalize cannabis for adult use and a long-time, um, a long-time supporter of medical cannabis. And they've had a medical cannabis program, I think, since 2002. My date may be off. But they're one of the countries. You know, they're a NATO country whose VA pays for medical cannabis for their veterans. 
And their veterans, I've watched this, I'm telling you, man, their veterans have really coalesced around this and are helping each other out, helping each other transition into medical cannabis as a, as a treatment function. You also have access to Israel, you know, one of our longtime partners and one of the strongest researchers in, in medical cannabis. I mean, Dr. Rafael Mashulam obviously is there at Technion uh, University and identified uh, along, along with uh, Dr. Lumir Hanush, a Czech uh, researcher, tetrahydrocannabinol in the 60s. And then later identified that we have an endocannabinoid system, you know, a system in our body as important as our nervous system, our endocrine system, and, and, you know, all of the other complexities of this amazing body of ours. They know this stuff. And and I think it's about time that we start having very high-level conversations uh, and, and welcoming the research. And not just welcoming it, but funding it. Uh, you know, creating platforms and networks to actually do the research. You know, I think that would be the major benefit. That's why we're having this Veterans Cannabis Leadership Forum here in in Kansas City, which is ironically, not ironically, but interestingly, I would say the home of the World War One Institute. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the World War One Museum and National Memorial. That's unique because it was 100 years ago last year that was the the anniversary of the end of World War One. you know, the Great War, and one of the most horrific wars oh, yeah. uh, this planet has ever seen. Um, and when you go in there, you look at the the medical section, and you can you can tell the medical advances that we have made since the end of World War One, based on military necessity and military experience, are just vast. Right. I mean, the the it seems like the medical kits for World War One mostly uh, were comprised of saws, and and then there was some medicine, but mostly saws and things to to cut. Um, and today, you know, because of military necessity, we have advanced trauma care. We have uh, the ability to treat a number of different injuries injuries in combat. And I think that uh, if we allow the DoD to really focus on this plant. I think a hundred years from now, it's it's it, it's going to be uh, we're going to see amazing advances have taken place because of military necessity. Yeah, you know that's a lot of excitement, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned you know it's it's a target rich environment. You know, not targets to destroy, but targets to heal. And I'm just uh, super excited that you know we we did uh, reach out to each other on LinkedIn. You had mentioned that earlier, but I'm just thrilled to death to be you know in the loop and uh actually looking forward to november now i'm not sure if i'm going to be invited but i would love to be at that symposium because i have a story too and and i would love to be part of the leaders of this country former military leaders that that can actually make things happen and it would be very uh humbling for me to be part of that but absolutely you're more than welcome and you know bring bring your microphone and and it'd be a great place to to talk to people about their um about their thoughts on on cannabis appreciate that sir so there you have it retired army officer and uh consummate cavalryman todd scatini who is the founder ceo uh the visionary the creator uh the educator all these great things for Calvary Cannabis and for that whole medical marijuana industry. So glad to have you here and, and very humbled to, to, that you took the time to tell us your story and to uh, spread some hope for people around the world. Thanks for the opportunity, John. I really appreciate it. Take care of yourself, my friend. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you, sir. You gotta light them up. 
before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. Before they burn it down.